0: Hi, everyone. Before we get started, we just wanted to recognize the IATSE and the struggle that they are going through right now. They are working and fighting for better wages, for better hours, to be treated like humans. They are overworked. Underpaid. A lot of these people are below the line, just making paycheck to paycheck to feed their family. If you don't know, IATSE stands for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, Moving Picture Technicians, Artists, and Allied Crafts of the United States. They are working to basically get proper working hours. They are completely overworked. They work sometimes 14-hour days for seven days straight. And if you go on Instagram and follow an Instagram called L.A. Stories, you can read how some of these working conditions are ruining their health and endangering them. And you learn so much more. It's very eye opening about the working conditions in Hollywood right now and how we're pretty much abused and taken advantage of, Uh, especially with new media. They look at themselves as experimental. And so they ask for discounts and try to pay lower wages and longer hours. And they're not experimental anymore. They've won Emmys. They're killing it. A lot of people are cutting their cable cords just to get them. They are no longer experimental. And the IATSE is just fighting for what they deserve. And I just want to say that Hollywood Hustle Podcast, myself, Daniel, uh, my team, Kate and Eric, and I'm sure even Michael Lutheran, we stand by you. We support you. We love you. And we hope nothing but the best out of Whatever comes next, whether the negotiations or you have to go on strike, we stand by you.
1: We're with you. Good luck. You got this. My name is Deborah Lee Smith. I am an actor, a filmmaker, and a mental health advocate, and I am The Hustle.
0: Welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, a weekly experience where produced screenwriter and podcaster Daniel Tuttle sets out to educate and inspire artists and entrepreneurs all over the world with the stories and challenges of those hustling towards their success. Hello, 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 League of Hustle. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited for this episode. Today, we are kicking off our second ever three-part series. This series is going to be with Deborah Lee-Smith. Deborah is a producer, an actress, a writer... Uh, she hosts a podcast called More Than You See that is a mental health podcast. It's available wherever you get podcasts. She hosts rooms on Clubhouse. She is just amazing. She has been a friend of the show for quite a while, or a friend of ours for quite a while. I adore her. And we just sat down and talked for almost two hours and there was no way I could fit that all into two parts so this will be split into three parts I hope you enjoy it I don't have anything to update you on my life has been crazy I'm sorry this is a little late Uh, I had to uh, deal with some sick kids and wasn't able to record the intros and the outros and so thank you so much for your patience I hope you enjoy part one where Deborah talks about growing up being bullied uh, especially for her uh, Judaism And we also start talking about her move to Australia uh, to kind of get away from acting due to a very ridiculous comment from a casting agent. But she moved to Australia to learn more about filmmaking, and she discovered so much more there. We get into that a little bit on this one, and we continue that next week in part two. But I hope you love this beginning of her story and her journey with Deborah Lee Smith. Let the hustle begin. Hi, Deborah. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm so
1: excited to be here. So wonderful. This has
0: been, I think, at least two years of talking back and forth, trying to make schedules happen and things. Uh, I'm sad that Michael is no longer uh, part of the show to actually uh, be a part of this conversation, but uh, he at least gets to listen to it and enjoy it uh, when it comes out. How are you doing? How are you doing through... This, you know, the last year, what's what's been going on?
1: You know, I'm actually I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm very grateful for the fact that I've been working throughout this pandemic. Um, and I know that I'm definitely saying that from a place of privilege. I've had the opportunity to shoot one feature already during the pandemic, and I'm actually headed next week to shoot a second. Um, and I produced a short film up in Seattle uh, as well, and I've been getting into writing actually, so that's that's been a new a new thing that I've picked up during the pandemic. And then I also um, my you know day job is that I run a marketing company, so I've been doing that. And I started a new podcast, which I know we're going to talk about. So I've really. Basically, picked up more hobbies (laughs) and more things during the pandemic. And of course, I certainly have days where I'm, you know, depressed and feeling really shitty about the state of the world. But um, most days I'm able to really push through and create something positive out of this time. So,
0: so I wish you'd been more productive during this time. I feel like (laughs) you've been super lazy, uh, Uh, man. I mean, (laughs) I'm not one to like, you know, lash on somebody, but geez, get it together. (laughs) I
1: know. Right. Yeah, I really should.
0: (laughs) You really, when do you have time to, you know, eat and sleep?
1: (laughs) You know? Yeah. I, I have to say that I, I definitely have learned this year. Um, how much i push myself sometimes to a detriment Mm -hmm. and and i'm i'm really i've really taken this year to learn a lot about myself and but to really focus on the things that make me happy and the things that i really want in my life and so even though Mm. all of those things seem like a lot which they are i've really found a way to prioritize myself through all of this which has been crucial to my mental well-being
0: it's so important to be you know I, I think we've talked about this a little bit in the clubhouse rooms we've done but like to be just self-aware of your own emotional well-being and listening to your body when it says like enough's enough like i need a break mm-hmm. i need some time for me and you need some time Definitely. like just me and you to like relax or or wind down or just have fun like even you know even if it's not just like sitting in a living room by yourself but like you know Getting on like a Zoom game call or like if there are friends that you're potting with, like getting together with them and just like enjoying yourself for a little bit. That's not like I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got to get this done. I've got to get this done in my head for some reason. And I know this is probably not true. I see you. I see you at like a, a couch with a coffee table and there's this paper spread everywhere on the coffee table. And there's like two computer screens going on and maybe like a microphone <laughs> and you're on a zoom call on one end and on the other end, you're like typing things up. <laughs> like that's just the picture I have as you were telling me like what you've been doing. Yeah. I just, and, and then you're like, and then you're like closing the zoom call to go to a, like a website you're putting together real quick. Just so, like, Oh, I need to put the phone on. Touch the phone. While the person's talking and then you come back and you talk. And then that's just what I'm seeing in my head. I mean, how very, accurate Very,
1: is that? very, very accurate. I also have painting supplies on my coffee table because (laughs) I have I mean, I've always, you know, been an artist in a lot of different ways, but I've really gotten back into painting during quarantine. And so I love just like watching something at night and just working on some random collage painting that I'm working on. So very, very accurate.
0: It's like a premonition I had of <laughs> of what your workspace probably looks mm-hmm. like. So let's kind of go back real quick. What are your first memories of imagination or film and, and performing? That's
1: a great question. It's so funny because usually the question is, you know, like, where did you get started in acting in general? But to think about just performing Uh, I went to a private Jewish day school when I was a kid on scholarship and we had to do all of these presentations about different, you know, historical figures or whatever. And I remember dressing up as the Statue of Liberty and reading the poem that is at Ellis Island and talking about the person, I think, who wrote that poem or something like that. It was it was something along the lines of, you know, talking about immigrants and their importance in our country and dressing up as the Statue of Liberty. And I think I was maybe seven and I was like so excited about presenting in front of, <laughs> you know, everyone. And, and I think that that certainly like that school really instilled in me a um, confidence in front of people which is huge as an actor and, and really just as a person. Like I'm just so grateful for that part of my education as a kid.
0: Yeah, I, I was telling ta- ta- something the other day. I, I hadn't thought about this for a while. I was like, I actually remember practicing when I was like in high school. And I did it away from my mom because I knew she wouldn't approve, but practicing Coolio's "Gangsters Paradise. <laughs> and I was planning on auditioning for our talent show <laughs> in sixth grade. Nice. <laughs> with Kingston's Paradise it did not happen, but uh, they hired they hired me. That's professional speak. They hired yes. me to host the show because they, they wanted to involve everybody as much. So it was me and this other kid, and I think that was like the first taste of having the attention of the audience and what that feels like. Yeah, I think that's exactly where that feeling of like, oh my god, I want this. To, I want to do this forever. Yeah. So once you kind of took on this like idea of I like this, I like what's happening here what was your kind of creative journey from there
1: i would say i had sort of a difficult childhood i uh, you know my parents were divorced when i was 5 and it was really not an easy divorce and there was a lot of drama and issues around that and so a lot of my childhood was was honestly that i remember was was going between households being in lawyers offices being you know, all sorts of stuff like that. But I definitely remember like reading was huge for me. I think that my my creativity really expanded it, you know, through books and through I mean, the Harry Potter series was incredibly important to me as a kid. And you know, that's why my dog is named Phineas. I have a Harry Potter tattoo. Like all jokes aside, that that book series really meant a lot to me and allowed me to dive into a world and sort of ignore everything that was going on in my personal life, um, which was, which was crucial for me as a kid. So, I mean, I think, you know, from there, I did the high school and junior high drama uh, club. I actually got into drama through a debate team I was on, I was in the debate team and the drama teacher saw me in debate club or whatever, some sort of competition. And she, pulled me aside later and was like, I think that you'd really enjoy acting. You should audition for our play. And then I auditioned for the play, ended up getting it, and it ended up being a period piece, which I am obsessed with period things. And so I ended up having to wear, I was a postmaster general, and I ended up having to wear this enormous velvet dress that weighed probably 30 pounds for, you know, the run of the show. And I was so excited about it. I mean... When I was a kid, I told my mom that if she would have gotten me a dress from like the turn of the century, like the, you know, 1890s. 1900, like with a bustle and a corset, I would have worn that thing to school. And now I mean, I was I was bullied pretty bad in high school. So now looking back, I'm like, it's probably good that I wasn't wearing a, you know, corset to high school. (laughs) But I totally would have been all on board for that. (laughs) So so yes, I did plays in junior high, then did plays in high school. And and that, you know, it's funny, because I was thinking the other day about my, you know, producing, acting, and how those two things connect, which I know we'll get into more. But I remember doing a performance of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and Mm. I was one of the fairies or something like that. So I, like, had a little bit of an acting role, and I was also the stage manager. And I totally had forgotten about this, but I would perform on stage and then run off stage and immediately put headphones on in order to, like... (gasps) like stage manage what was going on i don't remember why i was doing both jobs um
0: i was like why would they let you do but that sounds like just so i weird. know i
1: feel i think that someone dropped out from the stage manager position and i was like it's okay i'm i'm only on stage for these periods of times like i can stage manage the rest of the time so i just from i just like had a memory the other day about like running off stage and putting my you know little earphone things on and managing what was going on and then putting it back off and running back on stage and delivering lines. And <laughs> that's sort of actually been my career, which is, you know, very funny that it, that it started there.
0: So, so if I can ask you, and obviously, I mean, only want to go as, as deep as you want to go. I don't want to intrude uh, on any personal stuff, but I always, you know, attribute theater because at my schools, there wasn't really a theater program until I got to high school. And I always say, like, when I got to theater in high school, that theater most likely, like, saved my life. I was not in the best place when I got to high school. I was also bullied, and, and there was a lot of stuff going on in my personal life with my parents. My parents were also divorced, and there's a lot of stuff going on then. And, you know, I found theater as kind of an escape. I found ownership in it, if that makes sense. And I found, like, my, my place, the first place I ever felt like I belong here. This is where I'm supposed to be. Did you find that with whatever, you know, all the stuff that was kind of going on with you and, you know, being bullied in high school, did you find some sort of comfort in in performing to escape or a pe- like maybe a sense of identity?
1: Yeah, I certainly did. You know, it's interesting and I and I don't want to speak ill of, you know, anyone in particular, but I definitely did. F-
0: Tom Hanks. I
1: know, right? Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> asshole.
0: <laughs> I met him when I was in high school, and he that's, was the one. That's
1: right, man. Actually, it's so funny that you say that, but um, because they filmed the show Roswell, you know, from the whatever. When was I in high school? 90s? Mm-hmm. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> so they filmed that show Roswell in my neighborhood, like where I grew up. Oh, wow. And so I used to go to school and then like finish my homework, and then I would watch Jason Bear, Katherine Heigl and Colin Hanks like on my street acting mm-hmm. when I was like
0: I forgot they were Yeah, when I was like
1: 15 which was really awesome. I'm sure, you know, sparked some something there. <laughs> you know, it's hard because I did fit in with the theater kids, but I also so I definitely did gain some friendships and some of my identity in theater, but I, I would say that honestly, like, it was finally when I went to college is when I kind of found my people. I was bullied terribly for being Jewish. And that's, I mean, obviously not something that <laughs> that I could or would change. And that yeah. was something that I was bullied for even amongst my theater kids. And
0: mm. so
1: that was, uh, that made it really hard to connect with people. Um, yeah. And I mean and that was just one of the things but it was also because like I was in all of the advanced gate program classes like all the mm-hmm. all of those yeah all the advanced classes and and a lot of the theater kids weren't so I sort of was straddling mm-hmm. between the like theater kid world as well as the gate program world and mm-hmm. um and I didn't completely fit in either place you know like I have I have maybe 2 or 3 friends from high school still, but there it's not you know, it's not like I really did have. And and I also it's funny because oftentimes when I listen to interviews with like big stars, like big Hollywood celebrities at this point, they talk about how in high school they weren't the leads of the shows. Like they were the mm-hmm. you know, they were the small parts and it wasn't until later where they really shone and that was very that was definitely my experience like i was never given a lead i worked my butt off in theater but i wouldn't say that it was i think if you would talk to my theater teacher now well actually i know this i have talked to my theater teacher recently and he is <laughs> shocked he is blown away that i am still an actor which mm. i find hilarious because for me this is this has just been what i've wanted to do and And I think I mean, I think there's also I have all sorts of psychological ideas around why people who were stars in high school then don't go into it and why someone like me decides that this is going to be my career for the rest of my life.
0: You talked about kind of being made fun for your 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 Mm -hmm. faith and, and being Jewish. Now, obviously, you know, a lot of times that especially in a Jewish lifestyle, that's that's kind of part of your identity. That's that's part of the lifestyle. There's a lot of things that go in with that at that time. I mean, I'm not sure how devoted you were at that time or serious about it but was there a sense that when people made fun of you it was very personal towards your identity of who you were as a person or you know was it also something maybe at the time where as a kid like you said it wasn't something you could control mm-hmm. it's not something you can change yeah how did that hinder you maybe at that time as an adolescence how has that affected you as an adult
1: mm. I mean it, you know I think that it's Like, I'll even go broader scale because it isn't just Mm -hmm. the like being bullied for being Jewish in high school. And I was bullied for other things as well, but like that was that was a primary one
0: wearing girdles, yeah, wearing girdles, yeah, (laughs) of course, yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) But I also further along in my you know life journey when I was after I got my undergrad degree in theater at Berkeley, um, and then I came down to LA and I was auditioning for something i don't remember what it was i don't remember who this person was i don't remember details but i remember that i auditioned and then the casting director told me that i had a one of my thyroids removed when i was in college because i had a tumor on it and she told me that the scar on my throat from where my thyroid was taken out was so hideous that i was never going to work in hollywood and That is actually one of the key reasons that I ended up going and getting a master's degree in producing because I was like, well, Mm -hmm. if I can't act because this one person told me that this scar was hideous and therefore I wasn't going to be able to act, um, I was like, I still want to be involved in this industry in some way. And that's how I ended up getting into producing. So going back to your question, I think that I've had, I, I know that I've had a lot of times where people have very blatantly told me that I'm not going to be able to achieve what I'm going what I want to achieve. And early on that made me shut down and switch directions and go like, "Oh, okay, thank you for your, you know, unsolicited advice. I'm going to now go follow this other path." <laughs> um, yeah. But looking back, all of those things were so crucial to getting me to where I am today, so I'm very grateful for all of those different hindrances and obstacles. But I mean, you know, it's interesting. Being Jewish is it's sort of difficult because and obviously I'm just speaking for myself, but I think this is a ver- this is very uh this is a very well-known idea or whatever. Jews don't like to focus on their suffering. Like even throughout, you know, the Holocaust and all of those sorts of occurrences like Jews have been persecuted over and over again and that isn't the focus in the faith in the Mm. you know anything like that and so i think that when it comes to your identity being jewish it's just yeah it's just something that you are um but it also from the outside world doesn't necessarily seem like an identity because you could be ethnically jewish you could be spiritually jewish like there's a lot of different identities related to being Jewish. Myself, I am Caucasian and I am Jewish. There is a lot of Jews around the world that have all sorts of other ethnicities or they're from, you know, all all around the world, uh, just like Christian and everything else. So I think that there's, you know, like levels of uh, discrimination when it comes to Judaism. And I think for me, like I went to a high school that was primarily uh not white actually like i went to i went mm. to high school in la and primarily it was students of color black mexican asian like i would say that whites were in the minority actually at that high school and so i think that mm. was just the thing that they were like oh this is something different about this one white kid so this is what we're going to pick on her yeah. with and yeah and so that was whatever but but i do think that that just Made me so resolute in focusing on Judaism being more part of my identity. Like, I do not hide that, and it is very, very important to me as a person.
0: You know, as a kid gr- growing up in a, a Christian household, per se, Christianity a lot of times is seen as like your faith. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like that's the spiritual right. side of you. But if I did a, you know, a 20, 27 and me or whatever that thing right. is, you know, 29 and me, and me or whatever, <laughs> if I did that, it, yeah, 23 and me, it wouldn't come back like Scottish, Irish, Christian, right. like, like, you know what I mean? Like that wouldn't be on there. Whereas if, you know, you or someone else with a you know Jewish heritage, that would probably be mm-hmm. in there. As as an yeah. ethnicity Thank you so much For kind of talking about that I find stuff like that So fascinating I'm always curious Kind of like Especially when people have You know rough times If that's something That spurs them on, Is that something you feel Do you feel like That has spurred you With that underappreciated Like with those people Saying those things I mean
1: deaf I mean yes I It's funny Because I listened to An interview with Rachel Bloom At one point Uh, She talked about how She was on a night show And uh, like a, a Yes yeah, like Some you know James Corden Or something like that And she was mm-hmm. saying How she was horribly bullied in high school and she said she called the person out by name and was like so so and so suck it look at me now and i just like i was like (laughs) oh my gosh that's totally (laughs) i totally feel like that's something that i would do i mean i wouldn't actually but um like good on her for because you know the thing it's it's so this is a whole conversation in itself as far as, like, raising children and <laughs> bullying and all of this sort of stuff. You know, it starts with with what we are teaching people. And, you know, going back to, mm. like, religion really quickly, like, so my my mom is Jewish, which means that I'm Jewish because it goes through the mom. Mm-hmm. But my dad is actually a Christian minister. So I, yeah, so I grew up there was a lot of conflict in that which i'm sure you can guess but i remember very distinctly going to a church with my dad when he was preaching and sitting in the audience or whatever with my sister and the uh my dad was you know visiting this and and preaching at this church but there was a you know a, a minister who was that church's minister and before he introduced my dad they they did a prayer you know like a congregational prayer and they prayed for Jews, gays and black people because they were afraid that they were all going to hell because of who they were and my sister and I, I was probably 12 at the time, my sister is three years younger than me, so nine and I just like took my sister and was like we're leaving, like I'm not sitting in this space to have someone tell me that I'm going to hell because of who I am, like that's not okay And and it's just, you know, so I've I've certainly had experiences like that before, just like blatant discrimination for for who I am. But but again, it's also it's not I don't know, as as Jews, we're often just, okay thank you for sharing your opinion. You're wrong. And uh, (laughs) like, thank you. But no,
0: (laughs) we're going to keep doing our thing. We're just going to keep doing our thing. (laughs) Uh... Exactly.
1: I, I was listening to an interview the other day with a Holocaust survivor, and she was talking about. How she is still like she writes about she's a psychologist and she writes about positivity and like the importance of perception and, yeah, bringing a positive attitude into your life. And it was an interview with Sophia Bush and she was Sophia was asking her, you know, like, how do you keep going and through everything? And she she basically was like, because that's their perception of me. She was saying that she pitied the Nazis for their ideas around around people like how sad is it that you can hate a group of people so much that you want to commit those atrocities like how sad for you that you are in that headspace and i think that that has been what has really started to become what drives me is i'm like if that's really what you think of me like how sad for you because i'm going to continue to grow and be a be- bigger and better version of myself and be the best storyteller I absolutely can and if you don't yeah. see that then that's then that's your perception and that's not the reality
0: it's very much like that I don't hate you I, I pity you yeah. like I feel sorry for you Yeah. that you have so much hate in your heart for something you probably don't even understand you got you know really nothing about but you you hate them because maybe at some point somebody right. told you to yeah, because obviously, hate it. You're not born to hate. You're born to cuddle, and you're born right, to exactly. love. Exactly, and somebody teaches you right. that, and that's awful. And 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 I and me and my wife and I say all the time, oh man, I'm getting teary. <laughs> I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> um, but like with our kids, like we're so happy that we live in a time right now where there is this awakening to the struggles of others that aren't right. like us that don't look yeah. like us and that we're able to talk to my son about you know when he sees a black lives matter march uh out, outside our door like we're able to talk mm-hmm. to him about it we get the opportunity to kind of raise someone who understands it yeah and you know bring people into his life that can explain it from their experiences and i think that's something we're really grateful for. Mm-hmm. Let's move forward. We could talk about this know, all right? day. For sure. I'm, I need to start like a child trauma podcast. Yeah,
1: seriously.
0: And like how- uh, It affects us all. Yeah. Uh, so let's kind of move forward a little bit. So like you kind of mentioned it, um, that at some point, you know, you kind of said, screw this. And instead of just going into a different industry, you went to a totally different country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you started, you know, you did, you still kind of stayed because you got your master's in filmmaking while you were there. When did that decision come about? What was that experience like living in Australia? And then also, you, you, you built a construction company while you were there. You know, kind of tell us that story. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean... Man, I feel like a lot of times when people like hear about this they're like, "Oh my gosh, you've had like nine lives." And and I truly, you know, I look back at my last 10 years and I'm like, "Oh my god, I really have lived so many different experiences." Um so it it blows my mind honestly. Um <laughs> I mean, like I said, you know, like I had a really shitty experience with a casting director who told me that I was you know, too ugly to be on screen for whatever reason. So then can, I can I just say, yeah.
0: we don't we don't cuss a lot, but fuck her. I know what an awful thing to say to somebody. Like I know nobody needs that advice. Like yeah, that's not that's not helpful critiques. That's not. <laughs> You know, that's not saying like, hey, next time, maybe just come like a little more prepared. Right. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like that's that's like going you're fucking hideous and you're never going to make it on screen. God, go fuck yourself.
1: I mean, it it blows my mind, honestly, a little bit. But but that was that. And uh, I mean, I. I started. Yeah, I started looking at master's programs and I was like looking at NYU because I was thinking about moving to New York and to go to NYU and get a master's was going to be like a hundred grand, you know, for the two years or something like that. And I'm very grateful in that I went through college with no loans. I worked like four jobs in college. So this is probably where my, you know, crazy work schedule habit started was in college. And so I really didn't want to graduate in debt. And so I found I had a friend who was going to school in Australia and uh, she was like, you should look into it. And I looked into it and to get a master's in film production. It was a year and a half program and it cost me 12 grand American. And wow. yeah. And I and I was like, OK, well, this is uh, I guess this is what I'm going to do. And it's so funny because I've had a couple of these times in my life where I've had to make huge decisions very quickly because I got into I got into the program and then the program started a week later. Um, Like I graduated from Berkeley in you know, May or whenever it was. And then I found out maybe three weeks after graduation that I had gotten in and then I pretty much had to get on a plane within a week and start this program in Australia. And it's funny because my sister you know, I, I when I was trying to decide, like, what, like, am I going to do this? Like, am I really going to move to another country like this is so crazy? And I called her and she was like, Deborah, did you apply to this program and you you're not going to go? Like, what's wrong with you? Like you applied. <laughs> so, like, clearly you had some part of you that wanted to do this. So, like, just do it.
0: Get on um, a plane and go. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just get on a plane. So. So that was. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. And I ended up meeting. My ex-husband in Australia, uh, he's Australian. I met him within three days of moving to Australia, which was a whole crazy, wow. you know, story in itself. And he he was in construction or he is in construction. He has a surveying company. And so I, you know, did my master's degree and then I came back to L.A. And it was right around the time of the writer's strike and the housing Crash and all of that nonsense. I mean, it was a few years later, but the industry was still very impacted by that. So I started looking to, you know, for a production job and couldn't find any, like anything. And so I ended up deciding to move back to Australia in order to save some money and whatever. And I was very, very quickly bored because I, again, didn't have work. And My ex husband was working on site in a construction job. And I, one day I was like, I just want to help. Like, can I just come and help? And so I ended up helping out on site with him. And very quickly, within, you know, a month or so, I picked up what he was doing and was able to, yeah, just really thrive in that industry as well. And within six months, I was managing a construction site that was worth like $50 million. And I was managing the surveying for it. So I was, you know, we had about 15 employees at the time. And so each of us were managing a site and I would manage the the employees underneath me. And I mean, I was, you know, 24 at the time. And I look very young for my age. So I looked about 16. So that was a whole new... <laughs> Crop of experiences as far as, you know, a lot of older white men who were very disrespectful and wanted to, you know, come and tell me what I was doing, like what I should do. And I really had like Mm -hmm. that, that experience of working in construction gave me the thickest skin in the world because I had to tell people, no, you cannot speak to me like that. And I am your boss, so you need to listen Mm -hmm. to me and this is what you need to do now yeah so that was very important in now me being a really good producer is what i learned from that experience
0: you're gonna be just fine as a mom
1: <laughs> thank you you're gonna be
0: just fine <laughs> yeah you do not speak to me that way now i need you to go over there and figure out how deep we need to right. dig <laughs> <laughs> exactly. get get mama her coffee and let's get, let's figure this yeah. out um, that's so, that's wild. Like that just blows my, cause I'm like me thinking of like 20, I'm, you know, I'm 37 now, but like thinking of like 24 year old Daniel, like owning a construction company or owning any company. I'm like, Oh my God, no, <laughs> like that. I, I don't think I could do it. It taught you not only uh, probably, uh, you know, leadership Definitely. skills, obviously and management skills, but organization skills, money handling all this, you know, running a Marketing. business mm-hmm. and, and also the yeah. the the line between sensitive and tough yeah. and empathy and professional yeah. you know i think some people tend to lean harder one way or the other and finding that good balance that works for you is really tough and i think you know i obviously have known you for a little bit and you are just one of the nicest people in the world and you're so sweet and so giving of cool, your time you. and, and knowledge and opportunities and so like it's you know it, it'd be interesting i think to to watch you in action as a mm-hmm. producer to see that part of you which i've, I've never gotten to see i've always been a, a proponent of the idea of a business side and a personal mm-hmm. side We're like, I can shift into whatever you want to call it, business mode and stuff like that. It's like, it's not personal. I'm talking to you as a professional right now. And then after this is done, we can go get a beer and chat about whatever. It's so important to have those separated mindsets. And there it is. Part one with Deborah Lee Smith. I hope you enjoyed this episode next week. Deborah goes more into working in Australia, working on construction. She also discusses coming back and how she got into producing and how she started basically producing to make her own roles for acting. And we starting into getting into her getting into screenwriting and writing some scripts that are very close and personal to her. I hope you will come back next week. Please make sure you f- check out Deborah Lee Smith on Instagram. She is Deborah D-E-B-O-R-A-H underscore L Smith on Instagram. Find her on Instagram. Find her on Twitter. You can click the link in the notes of this episode to a faster way to find her. Follow her. You can check out her film Last Three Days on Hulu. And her film Hero While with Jolo Truglio, Anna Camp, which is a beautiful film. I highly suggest it. It is on Amazon Prime. She's a fantastic actress. Also, make sure you leave us a review. We'd love to see what you have to say about the show. It also helps us get bumped up on the charts. Make sure you tell your friends about the show. Send us an email if you have any questions for Deborah and you don't really want to, you don't do social media. We'll happily ask her your questions. And if you have any thoughts about today's show or any changes in your life, have you moved to another country and then come back and just changed your whole life? Please let me know. I want to hear your stories. Once again, thank you so much. Make sure you follow us, LA Hustle Cast on Twitter, Hollywood Hustle Podcast on Instagram. You can follow me on TikTok at Bearded Writer. That's writer like I write stuff. Once again, make sure you come back for part two with Deborah Lee Smith next week. And as always, keep up the hustle.